I feel the need. The need for speed. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. That's right, Iceman. I am dangerous. Man, people of the 80s, you know what I'm talking about, right? Top Gun. The greatest movie of all time. If you don't know Top Gun, it's a movie about Navy pilots at the top pilot school called Top Gun. A favorite kind of movie for young men in, their, in the 80s. And you, if you watch it, you might know why. A movie about testosterone and ego. It's so ridiculous. It's almost comical how much kind of ego is in that movie. To illustrate the problem with pride, uh, as a counselor at a Christian camp, I did uh, a Top Gun day. So um, we dressed up like the actors from Top Gun, another counselor and I, Clint Olson actually, my friend. Uh, we puffed up our chests, we used one-liners, um, we reenacted the ridiculousness of the volleyball scene, uh, where we greased ourselves up with vegetable oil and jumped off trampolines and spiked volleyballs uh, like Tom Cruise and those guys did in the movie. It was ridiculous. I, also, I have to know that that's the last time uh, the camp director let me do any skits at the camp <laughs> was after uh, that uh, time of Top Gun Day. Well, through humor, exposing ridiculousness, and through quick wit and sarcasm, Paul is going to expose the false teachers in Corinth. And he's going to show the true source of strength for the church. So again, through humor, wit, sarcasm, Paul is going to show the ridiculousness of the false teachers and show the Corinthians the true source of strength. We're going to take this passage in parts because I think it's, un, it's hard to kind of understand the logic sometimes that Paul's going through in this passage. So we're going to unveil the argumentation through time as I read the scripture. So I'm going to start with verses 16 through 21, and then we'll keep on going through the passage as we go on. So let's start there. I repeat... Let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear if it, you bear if it someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. The word of the Lord. So these first six verses um, are a little bit hard to understand. It can be a little confusing. So I'll get to it in a second, but if you're just joining us, we are in the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter that Paul has written to a church he planted a few years earlier. But what's happened in his time away from them, they've been swayed by what 
um, Paul calls, calls in a sarcastic way the super apostles. And he has very harsh language for them as we read in the passage just before this. That this is false teaching that they're giving. You have to realize these super apostles, they love to flaunt their abilities. They love to talk about their resume and their background. They love to be triumphant about who they were and what they could do, their abilities, their visions, the signs that they've received. They love to receive money for their speaking gigs. And here's the thing. This is what they thought about Paul. They called him foolish. They called him weak. These are the ways they were trying to influence the church in Corinth away from Paul and his companions by again calling Paul a fool and weak. If you just join us for the first time, you've come at a great time. We've been going through 2 Corinthians all the way from the winter and we're getting to the end of the book, but the end is so good. It's cutting. It's powerful. It's personal. It's vulnerable. And it really hits on the central theme of the book comes out now at the end. It's some of my favorite parts of all scripture, if I can say that. All of it's good, but I really like this part. And Paul wants to speak to these people being influenced by these super apostles. And the way he wants to try to get through to them is he uses this very cutting rhetoric because he is worried, he is anxious about them following this false teaching. So again, these first six verses can be very confusing because Paul is being very sarcastic to get his point across to those that are being swayed by the false apostles in the church in Corinth. Look with me. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. Again, words that they used of him, these super apostles. But even if you do, so some might think he is foolish because of what's been told about him, accept me as a fool. So he's going to play their game so that I too may boast a little. He is in 1 Corinthians, early in 2 Corinthians, has been all against boasting. But now, okay, if you want to play that game, I'll play that game. I'll boast. I'll put vegetable oil on myself and jump off a trampoline and hit a volleyball to show the ridiculousness of the ways of pride. So, verse 19 goes on. And it says this, For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. Again, he is being sarcastic and cutting at them. He's now calling the super apostles fools and saying that the people in the church that are listening to them, you're bearing with these fools. And he's saying, well, you think you're wise by doing that. Is it really wise to bear with these kind of people? And what does he say that these kind of people do? For you bear it if someone makes you slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you 
in the face. So this teaching, this false gospel that's given by these false apostles is a sense of slavery. They're saying you have to still abide by the ceremonial law or by circumcision. They're devouring the people in Corinth. In this sense, they're taking advantage of them, meaning they're taking their money. They're lording over them, being very authoritarian, exalting themselves, being domineering. It actually might be to the point where if these people in Corinth are not following them, they might be striking them in the face, spitting at them, doing these kind of things to make them follow their teaching. And Paul cuts them again in verse 21. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. He uses the words that the super apostles use about him, that he's weak, to then say, well, it's probably a good thing that I'm weak because I'm too weak to do those kind of things to you that they're doing to you. He is trying to get their attention. I'm so glad that we are not swayed by those that put on airs. We're not swayed by top gun kind of rhetoric. <laughs> We're not swayed by those that flaunt their wealth, fake tans, those that have many followers on Instagram, those that are social influencers. I wonder what people would say, how many Twitter followers do you have, Paul? Do you get paid for your speaking gigs? Seems like your way of doing things is foolish and weak. But many of us, we bear with fools, thinking it's wise, letting it enslave us. Buy this, follow this, do this. You know, it's easy for me to bash social media influencers, right? I'm too old, right, to actually think that they have a sway over me, right? But how about people that sell us self-help? We're talking about this as a community group this last week. Books and people that say, take command of your life. Get organized. Get fit. Take charge of your environment. Is that teaching that far off from the super apostles? Selling us stuff that we just need to buy. How can you advance your career? How can you keep up with your 401k? How can you be a perfect mom? How can you look fit? How can you finally organize your home so it looks like it's up to date to the trends of the day? Good thing none of us follow those people, right? Hear me, I'm not saying it's bad to have a nice home, to look fit, to try to be a super mom, to do any of those 
things. But I'm wondering if they're the true gospel. And we actually believe that they are. I was reading an article about self-help and gospel coalition, and this is what one of the authors said, who had fallen into the trap of just letting these things kind of take over his life. Much of self-help includes making a plan for your life, but we don't control our life. Plan as we may, we are not the architect of our destiny. I must be the solution, or my world falls apart. But what if, like the Bible says, I'm actually the problem? There is no real help in self-help if the problem is with the self. As long as we remain chained to death and rebellion against God, no amount of practical tips and strategies can rescue us. Only Christ can provide the true freedom we need. God is good even when I am not. God is in control even when I am not. My helplessness is deeper than my productivity systems or budgeting style. But thanks be to God, my solution is also greater than these things. Do you listen to the weak voices in your life? A child that says to you, I love you not for your productivity, but for your presence. A friend that says, I value you not for your performance, for you just being around. A savior that says to you, my grace is sufficient for you. Whose voice are you listening to? Do I need to put on a flight suit? Do I need to cut my hair like Tom Cruise? Too late. Do I need to smirk? Right? Okay. You want it? You want the resume? Here it is. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through a many a sleepless night, 
and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. Paul uses at the beginning of the list the resume things the super apostles said about themselves. They were Hebrews, meaning ethnically. They were Israelites, meaning religiously. They were of Abraham, meaning theologically. They were showing they're the real deal. This was what makes them authentic. This is what makes their message true. It would be like someone saying, I'm a real Packer fan. I'm a real fat Packer fan because ethnically I was born in Wisconsin. Religiously because I'm a season ticket holder. Theologically because the only way to do it is tailgating with Bratz and Miller Lights before the game. See, these people are saying this is what proves that you are truly in, that you can truly teach. Paul's saying, well, sure, if you want to play by that game, so am I. But then he takes it over the top to show their ridiculousness. What does he say? Are they servants of Christ? Which they said they were. I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. The very idea that he says he is a better servant of Christ is an oxymoron to the very nature of Christianity and of being a servant of Christ. It would be like a Packer fan saying, I'm a better fan of Tom Brady. That's ridiculous. You're talking like a madman. Why would anyone say that as a Packer fan, they're a fan of Tom Brady? That's not possible. Luke Frymark. <laughs> See, what he's saying is, listen, Christ's message was not boasting in your abilities. It was being a servant is about one that laid down his life for others. See, the super apostles were elevating themselves, their fame, their power, their triumphalism. Some of you maybe have heard this false gospel. That's about getting your act together, being a better Christian, being more pious, being more righteous. That talk is like a madman. Christ came for the weak. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The gospel is the good news that Christ has done it for us. 
And that we would give our lives to him and serve like he does. You would think that Paul would then list all his accomplishments, books published, churches planted, money raised, councils supervised. All the things that you would see on the back of the book to know if it's a good book to read or not, someone's resume. But no, what does Paul give us? He gives us weaknesses, humiliation. 40 lashes minus one. The punishment, the greatest punishment you could receive in the synagogue was someone to take this whip made out of leather and lash you 40 times. If it was done more than 40 times, 41 times, then that person would get in trouble themselves that administered the punishment. That's why they did it minus one to just make sure that it did not go over. This happened five times. And there's actually language in the law that says, be prepared that this person could die in the synagogue when this happens. And Paul endured it five times. And he also endured Roman punishment, the Gentile punishment, not by straps, but by wood. He would be beaten. And then this stoning, maybe it happened by Jews or Gentiles, we don't know. Could have been by both. And then he goes on about all the trials in his missionary journeys. All the things that he faced there. Things that are not listed anywhere else. He, there's some are listed in Acts, but he gives all kind of things that he's experienced. There's actually more going to happen later in his life too. But all of this builds, this list. There's something about um, lists in uh, Roman writings that at the end it gets to kind of the most important ones. And the ones that he lists at the end are very intriguing. At the end, he lists, and apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. His care for the churches is what he's listening at the end. Who is weak and I am not weak. That he becomes weak for others. Who is made to fall, meaning those that might fall into sin or false teaching. And I am not indignant, meaning he gets upset about this. This list is the idea that how much he gives of himself to love and care for others. To lay down his life for others. how much he goes through emotionally, not just physically, by bearing with his church and how much he cares for them. You know, I know it's in vogue nowadays to talk about vulnerability, authenticity, to share our flaws. That's the in thing nowadays, right? I think every church says we're authentic nowadays, like, like this is the thing you say, Right? I don't think this is what's happening here. First of all, it was not in vogue at that time for him to share these things. These were humiliating. 
And even in sharing these things, this is the last resort to get their attention. He did not want to have to share these things. And the point of sharing them was not to elevate himself, but to elevate Christ. He's not talking about his sins here, but he's talking about the struggles for sacrificing for the gospel. Paul is not showing his authentic self so he can be real. What he's doing is he's showing God's strength through the weaknesses that he's experiencing that people would glorify not him, but God. Please hear me. I am not against us sharing our struggles as a church. As James says, we should confess our sins one to another. It's one beautiful thing I love about our church to share these things. But as Jamie showed us today, it's not to elevate ourselves, but what Christ does in us. His power. It's not to glorify sin, but to put it to death. It just shows the way that the devil works, that he even takes authenticity, vulnerability, this kind of talk to glorify ourselves rather than Christ in our current age. But there is something we can learn from a list like this. That we can look at experiences of suffering in a different light. That we can see that God is at work in our weaknesses. When you are changing a diaper, when you are doing a feeding for the second or third time at night, when you are cleaning up after someone that has vomited. When you are at those places where you are tired and you're weak and no one sees what you are doing and how you are serving, how you are loving your kids or your coworkers into the filth and the hardest places, God is there in your weakness. In those moments, when you are waiting in conflict with friends, they, they don't see what you are trying to point out. That it is a struggle and a work in these conversations and these conflicts just bear over time, over time, and it just wears on you. God is there in that weakness. The emotional toil when you see people struggling with their faith. When you are on your knees praying for them. When they are caught in addiction. When they are wrestling. And all you have is your prayers. All you have are your tears. All you have is your late night anxiety over it. In that weakness, 
Christ's power is shown. And that's what Paul lists. Being in the water for 24 hours at sea, he lists that like there's something to be boasting in that. Maybe we should look at our experiences of suffering in a different light, not in weakness, but in strength. Let's end this passage here, verses 30 through 33. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Again, Paul goes to his main point at the end. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then he gives us a separate story from the list that he gives gave early, and it might sound very interesting, why this story that he reveals at the very end? Well, I think this story is a picture of a great reversal. If you know a little bit about Paul, who used to be Saul in the book of Acts, that we remember he was going to Damascus, wasn't he? As Saul. He was going to root out the Christians, In some cases, even to stone them. But on his way there, he encounters Christ. And now we get this story of what actually he did in Damascus. Instead of going in as a leader in the city, one that people would listen to, he could just speak freely. Now he is under threat. He is an outcast. He is persecuted. It is so shameful he has to rely on other people's help to be in a basket lowered down through the city wall. What a reversal. Weakness. Foolishness. The cross. What weakness. What foolishness. When people wanted him to have a sword, instead he put himself on the cross for us. Could there actually be real strength in those visuals? Could the power actually be there? You know, I think the gospel's even in the movie Top Gun. You realize this pride, this ego, it comes crashing down if you've ever seen the movie. And it just crashes down on Maverick, right? Losing his friend. And it's this point of you wondering, is he going to re-engage? 
And you see in the low point, in that weakness, you see the transformation of his character. Could every story actually be a gospel story? Think on that. Could what movies show us, what literature shows us, might actually be looking for something that is the grand story of all of history, that we are a lost people that are prideful going our own way. And then in our weaknesses, God shows that he truly is powerful. We try to do this in our own, puffing ourselves up, thinking that we can do it through self-help or whatever it might be. But God finds us, doesn't he? And I hope in the search of us being found, we say, God, you are strong and I am weak. I need you. I know you might laugh at the example of Top Gun. But I do wonder if some of us have weaknesses that have caused us to fail to re-engage in life. Things that we are ashamed of are education our past failures, our place in life. Here Paul boasts in what the world might see as weakness. Why? Because in this, what is exemplified is Christ. We've all got it. Things that we try to suppress or hide so we can puff ourselves up. But the Christian life is one of reliance that we celebrate in our weaknesses because our strength comes from Jesus. Jesus.